This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. We are back. The Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we appreciate you watching. Keep in mind, you can always watch us on Fox Nation. So uh, there was a lot going on this weekend, too. No elections, but certainly the stories are moving uh, rapidly. Ari Fleischer will be around to put it all in perspective. Hey, for those people who thought corporate America was leaving the Republican Party and they're going to be in trouble, have you seen the totals in terms of fundraise through small donations? They have outstripped 2019 that's an off-year election outstripped raised uh, raised money in 2019 from McConnell McCarthy and others that goes to show you if Republicans find a way to be successful in these elections in 2022 they are going to be corporate free there's going to be nobody to honor in fact maybe to target so let's get to the big three now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What's taking place right now throughout all of these universities and colleges and schools is a form of social engineering. They're taking your children. They're undermining parents at every single point. They don't want them to turn to mom and dad for answers. They want them to think that mom and dad are wrong, are backwards and racist, and that these children are, you know, so smart and so woke. Yeah, uh, obsession with race. Two elite New York City schools are facing fallout amid race-based curriculum. Andrew Gutman, a fed-up dad, wrote a scathing letter accusing the prestigious $54,000 a year Beerly School of brainwashing their students. Parents need to keep speaking out like Gutman. Number two. I think Americans are, are finally uh, paying attention to what a crisis on the border, the results of it. First of all, thousands of people are being released in the United States every day. So hundreds of them we know for, for a fact have been released with COVID, positive with COVID, into our communities. And sadly, the media has moved on, but not us. Illegal immigration, post show, most media decide to do something else. The calamity at the border is not going away. Kids' cartels from dozens of nations flood our border, overwhelmed our enforcement, and Biden is to blame. We have not moved on, and now Republicans are trying another weapon, the courts. I'll explain. Number one. We have got to not only stay in the street, but we have got to fight for justice. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need business. Really? Maxine Waters, more confrontational. The 82-year-old stalwart from California, Los Angeles, decides to go to Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Law, disorder, disrespect, reforms, and riots. American City showing discredit to our men and women in blue. Reforms in place in over 230 states. Excuse me, uh, in 30 states in 230 uh, separate uh, cities. Already on the Derek Chauvin case goes to the jury. Should the verdict not go against the officer, to the nth degree, no city is safe. So that's pretty much what we're looking at. Uh, law and disorder. We had a ninth straight day of disorder last night in Brooklyn Center. And of course, a 15-minute drive away is what's happening with this Chauvin trial. 
I mean, if you watch the first nine minutes of the trial, you say to yourself, this guy's got to be convicted on, on murder two, not intent. He didn't show up trying to kill somebody. That's murder one. But I would say if you create even a little bit of doubt, the jury's supposed to say, no, I acquit. Is there a little bit of doubt? Well, you have experts there who said, hey, he could have died from pre-existing conditions and an unbelievable amount of fentanyl. But on the ground, to think that law enforcement already on their heels, a police chief fired, a city manager fired for asking for due process, the last thing you need is somebody on the ground in high profile egging on the crowd. After curfew, guess who shows up? Congresswoman you least want to see, Maxine Waters, cut one. We're looking for a guilty verdict. If nothing does not happen, then we know uh, that we've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need business. More confrontational? Are you kidding? Is that responsible? More confrontational? That is why they, uh, Kevin McCarthy is going to say if Nancy Pelosi doesn't rebuke her and take away her committee assignments, he is going to call on him to her to do so. He was asked about the Chauvin trial. Waters told reporters that if Chauvin is not found guilty, we've got to stay in the streets. Sitting there is Kevin McCarthy, who said Maxine Waters inciting violence in Minneapolis, just as she has incited violence in the past. If Speaker Pelosi doesn't act against this aggressive rhetoric, I will bring action this week. Lauren Boebert, who had her committee assignments taken away, tweets this out. Why is Maxine Waters traveling to different states trying to incite a riot? What good can come from that? Andy Biggs tweeted this out. The radical left doesn't care if your towns are burning, if there's violence in our streets, or if there are police are defunded to defend the communities, as long as the left appeases their anti-American base. But here's what Democrats know is a problem. Clear thinking ones. And that is to fund the police is a loser in America not only do, or do you know people, does everybody know somebody that's in uniform, family member, retired in uniform, but they know the role of police is absolutely necessary, especially in the cities that need them most. Of course you don't want situations where people uh, mistake their stun gun for a gun and kill a fleeing suspect. Of course you don't want a uh, Derek Chauvin situation where clearly he's on his neck, the guy can't breathe, and he doesn't get up. Everybody knows that. But if you say defund the police, what kind of society will we have? That is why James Clyburn weighed in this way. This is not about policing. Uh, this is not about training. This is about recruiting. Who are we recruiting to be police officers? That, to me, is where the focus has got to go. We've got to have police officers. Of course, you have to have police officers, uh, many of which are minority uh, and minorities in the community, too. one 408 7669 I'll take your calls next, then Ari Fleischer. But I do want to touch on what's happening at the border because what's happening is so horrible. And I'm just so upset that people, other media organizations who three weeks ago were hosting their Sunday shows from the border now have picked up and left. But this but it actually has gotten worse. Sometimes you hear about. Well, the, the, you know, there's less kids in, in the San Diego facilities. You know, over in Donna, Texas, they're becoming, uh, they built more facilities. What's happening is these kids are just being let out. Where are they going? Others aren't even being processed. Where are they going? I mean, you think that just to get people out of the facilities and get out of the crisis that they're ill-prepared to handle, they're just letting them out. So what the, what the Republicans are going to need to do is go to the courts. The same way they stopped Trump from building the wall and using money from the Defense Department, and defense uh, and defense services, 
in order to help police the border and fund the border wall. Now Governor DeSantis is joining Attorney General uh, of Arizona and, of course, in Texas and suing them to ensure safety at our border. Listen to this. Uh, First off, on ICE especially, here's what Stephen Miller's doing with his new organization, Cut 9. Under normal administrations, whether it was the Obama administration, the Trump administration, the Bush administration, the Clinton administration, if a criminal alien was arrested by a local sheriff's department, a police department, state troopers, state police, highway patrol, they were then flagged by ICE— And when that person was released, whether they were bonded out by a judge, whether they were put on their own recognizance pending trial, or whether they completed the prison sentence, they were placed into ICE custody. This, number one, prevented them from absconding. And number two, once their criminal procedure was over, they would be sent home. Biden administration has stopped doing that in the vast majority of cases. So now they're going to sue them for it. Governor DeSantis, too, on ICE. Even though we have a flood of illegals, their detainment has gone down. They have not been able to go and pursue would-be criminals in our midst. Cut eight. This is a reckless policy that we're opposing here. Under Biden's administration, they're no longer honoring these ICE detainers. They're withdrawing the detainers. So you have a criminal alien that is uh, convicted. Maybe they serve five years in state prison for a serious felony. Uh, ICE is effectively releasing them back in to our communities. And and we know that some of those people will reoffend. And we also know that any additional offense is, by definition, something that could have been prevented had they just followed the law. So the lawsuit seeks to have them actually follow the law, follow the Constitution. So he's suing on that. Stephen Miller's organization says this. The lawsuit being filed by Florida, along with Texas and Arizona, is the most important lawsuit that is happening in our country. And I want to be very clear with your audience on what is happening and why it is so dangerous under normal circumstances uh, under normal administrations, whether it was Obama or Trump or the Bush administration, um, state troopers, state police, highway patrol, they were then flagged by ICE. They used to work together because of ICE. Now ICE is not allowed to work. Number two, once the criminal procedure was over, uh, they would be sent home. Now they're going to be back near your schools, back in places where you live. The results of that is going to be a massive amount of recidivism. Innocent people are going to suffer irreparable damage. That's why they're bringing the lawsuit, to put it to an end, make them come back and start building the wall again. Wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, Be fascinating. Chad Wolf, who's been the subject of lawsuits against him and his service, as acting uh, DHS secretary, cut seven. A lot of these lawsuits that we have from states are very critical and important here because what we often don't talk about is the other measures that the Biden administration has put in place. So they have handcuffed the ability of ICE law enforcement officials to remove dangerous individuals from the country. Individuals that have no legal right to be here, don't qualify for, for, for asylum. They are not allowing ICE to remove these individuals. So it, it just is looking out for our interests, and we'll see if these judges see it like we see it. one 866 They don't want to talk about it. ABC, CBS, CNN, they moved on because it's a terrible story for them, for Joe Biden. It's a terrible story. It's a self-inflicted wound, and it's not ending. And I'm going to add to that. They're focusing on the refugees, the number of refugees that come in here. This should be zero. Until this pandemic is over and Mr. Triple Mask, Joe Biden, even though he's double vaccinated, should just say, I'm not no no refugees till it's over. Instead, he gets bullied into expanding it past the Trump threshold and blaming Trush, 
uh, Trump for blowing up a system. He didn't blow up a system. He doesn't believe that we should be letting refugees in this situation. But that is a distraction. We will not fall for it. one 408 7669 You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I think we all know if it bleeds, it leads. The more they can get you to stay inside and watch their panic porn, the higher the ratings. Researchers at Dartmouth built a database recently monitoring the COVID coverage of the major news outlets across the world and found that while other countries mix the good news in with the bad, the U.S. national media reported almost 90% bad news. Even as things were getting better, the reporting remained negative. And politicians, they lie because it's their nature to cover their ass so they don't get blamed if things goes badly and also to keep in practice. But when all of our sources for medical information have an agenda to spin us, yeah, you wind up with a badly misinformed population, including on the left. So Bill Maher's monologues are something that you would think that Sean Hannity would write. Uh, But Bill Maher could not be more left or more inverse than someone like Sean Hannity or things that you might hear on this show and calls that I get on this show because he's outraged because it's not a liberal or Democrat thing. You get a vaccine, we should not be wearing a mask. The CDC said it. Why are the numbers going down in Texas even though they got rid of the mask mandate? Why are 15 states getting rid of the mask mandate? Almost all of them have the cases going down. Why is it that most people believe that if you get it, you're going to be hospitalized if you're a Democrat? If you're a Republican, you feel exactly the opposite. Here's a little more from Bill Maher. Cut 35. But what about liberals? You know, the high information by the science people? In a recent Gallup survey, Democrats did much worse than Republicans in getting the right answer to the fundamental question, what are the chances that someone who gets COVID will need to be hospitalized? The answer is between 1 and 5%. 
41% of Democrats thought it was over 50%. Another 28% put the chances at 20 to 49. So almost 70% of Democrats are wildly off on this key question and also have a greatly exaggerated view of the danger of COVID-2 and the mortality rate among children. All of which explains why today the states with the highest share of schools that are still closed are all blue states. So if the right-wing media bubble has to own things like climate change denial, shouldn't liberal media have to answer for, how did your audience wind up believing such a bunch of crap about COVID? 100%. I 120% agree. These people who want to knuckle in the corner because these numbers are coming forward. Now you find out that CNN, through the Veritas video, is living off getting people fearful that they're going to die, juicing up the numbers and emphasizing the numbers when Trump was president and in the beginning when Biden was president. But now it's working against Biden, so they're going to make it seem like everything's going great, even though in the upper Midwest things are spiking because she's the worst governor you could imagine. That is part of it. A little bit more from uh, Bill Maher. Cut 36. A new report in The Atlantic says the media won't stop putting pictures of the beach on stories about COVID, even though it's looking increasingly like the beach is the best place to avoid it. Sunlight is the best disinfected, and vitamin D is the key to a robust immune system. Texas lifted its COVID restrictions recently, and their infection rates went down in part because of people getting outside to let the sun and wind do their thing. But to many liberals, that can't be right, because Texas and beach-loving Florida have Republican governors. But life is complicated. I've read that the governor of Florida reads. I, I know we like to think of Florida as only middle school teachers on bath salts having sex with their students in front of an alligator. But apparently the governor is also a voracious consumer of the scientific literature. And maybe that's why he protected his most vulnerable population, the elderly, way better than did the governor of New York. Those are just facts. I know it's irresponsible of me to say them. And, and Bill Maher's 100% right. By the way, that governor, I think he went to Yale undergrad and got a, uh, a master's from Harvard, so I think that does help him. Uh, Christine, you're in Virginia. Hey, Christine. Hi. Brian, I just wanted to comment on iced coffee. I'm 70 years old, and I had my first iced coffee when I was in high school. No, wait, wait a second. See, that's just it. Christine was referring to Fox & Friends today. It's different from what I was talking about. Cold brew, which, Allison, you want to join me on this. Millennials are getting cold brew with sweet cream and or sweet foam. Dunkin' Donuts has it and Starbucks has it. But I did not know cold brew was something that's been around for a while. It's they, different from iced coffee. It's never iced. It was, it was never meant to be coffee. Well, it just they brew it cold. Right. Never meant to be hot. Correct. It's different from coffee. coffee. That you put ice cubes in. Do you understand, Christine? It's called just like iced tea. Iced tea is not necessarily ice until you're drinking it. You can sun brew it. You can sun brew coffee. Cold brew. You can. You can. It's different than iced coffee. But you drink it with ice in it. You can drink. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Get with half and half. You can drink it black. You can put sugar in it. I even know somebody who put honey in it. You can do it. You can tweak it. Right, but it's not as good as if it was. It was cold brew is born to be cold coffee. Hot coffee. Coffee was born to be hot until it was made cold. I think you're just confusing yourself now. (laughs) (laughs) I think I got it. So then I brought it up saying this is brand new. Millennials are taking it more and more. It is the chosen drink of millennials. And then we looked it up, and Google says cold brew was actually invented in the 1600s. So I'm off by dozens of centuries. Dozens of centuries, yes, you are. <laughs> I don't know how you haven't – like, you go into Starbucks quite often. You only discover this. I, I don't, like, I'm only looking for certain things. Like the pumpkin spice latte. Which is or, out of season. Yeah. Which, by the way, I'm against anything syrupy now. I can't take the syrup. So unless you're going to brew it through the beans – a certain flavor. I don't want the syrup in it. Ah, uh, but can you brew it cold through the beans? Good question. Only a barista could tell us. one 866 Ari Fleischer, next. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I do want to say to Congress, please put aside all the harsh rhetoric about immigration. Please put aside trying to score political points on either side. I I I hope I can help set a tone that is more respectful about the immigrant, which may lead to reform of the system. You gave an Oval Office address on immigration. I did. It's been 15 years. No, no. Still, nothing's been done. No, a lot of executive orders, but all that means is that Congress isn't doing its job. Is it one of the biggest disappointments of your presidency? Yes, it really is. I campaigned on immigration reform. I made it abundantly clear to the voters this is something I intended to do. And it didn't happen, although they had both passed the House and Senate. They just never got together in a conference. Ari Fleischer, former White House press secretary, listening to his old boss do a rare interview with Nora O'Donnell about his new book that's coming out now, where he painted immigrants uh, that came here legally. Uh, Ari Fleischer, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here. Hey, first off, you have that special. on. Everyone should download it, check it out. If you don't have the Fox Nation app, another reason to get it, the Wise Guys Crisis at the Border special, right? That's right. It's an entire hour-long show dedicated to what's going on at the border. So to me, uh, I don't see rhetoric right now about Hispanics or Haitians. I see people just see legitimate worry about our security, especially in the middle of a pandemic. I don't think that's what the president was talking about, right? No, I think what President Bush was talking about is we've had a multi-year, multi-administration failure of Congress to act. You know, this is not a new issue for the American people, what to do about immigration, what to do about the tens of millions of people who are in America, came here illegally, and their status is cloudy. Well, we're not going to deport them all. They're living in shadows. What do you do? That's a call for Congress to do something. And that's, I think, what President Bush was talking about. And it involves an old-fashioned notion, Brian. 
two parties actually compromising and getting something done for America. Well, what did we learn? What should we have learned from the Reagan immigration reform where the Democrats promised to secure the border? So he naturalized all the illegals living here and the border was never secure. We got a bunch of instant Americans. And the message was, if you come here, you're eventually going to get citizenship. Well, the lesson is pretty clear. It's a lesson that propelled President Trump into office. Border security comes first. And President Trump did a great job in creating border security. You did not have people coming across the border illegally under him the way we do now under Joe Biden. So that, I think that's a indisputable first lesson. But at the same time, Congress's job is to deal with the biggest, most vexing issues. And it's not hard to say Congress has failed to do that for about 20 years. They just can't get their act together and act. And instead, everybody wants to point fingers at each other. See, I thought it was a great opportunity for an experienced politician like Joe Biden, because what's the number one issue for Republicans? Secure the border. Then we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about the illegals here, whether it's DACA or anybody else. And what he did in the middle of a pandemic and with Trump already gotten money for 450 miles of wall, he could have pledged another billion dollars to get 650. That's basically finishes it because of all the natural barrier. And then said, "Would you? Well, I'll do that on a pledge that we'll be back here in a year talking about allowing more refugees in the lottery system and examining how to go forward. With, instead, he punted on it, stopped the wall, and created chaos at the border by stopping all the Trump policies. Did that surprise you? It didn't surprise me because if you remember during the Democratic the primary debates, they all ran to the left of each other screaming about who could let more people in America illegally. And Biden called for a surge at the border, in his words. But look, the, the solution is to do it all at one time. I mean, that's what comprehensive immigration reform is. And when you have such narrowly divided government, 50-50 Senate, three votes for the Democrats in the House, you want to bring Republicans on board, the solution's obvious. You and Act tough security measures at the border. You reverse many of Biden's actions right now. And in return, Brian, what I would want to do, and I've changed on this, I now oppose a pathway to citizenship. I think once your first act in coming to America is to break our laws, you, you don't get citizenship. But I would do is put people on a pathway to residency so they don't have to worry about getting thrown out of America. If people are in this country, they came here 30 years ago, they have American children, they've worked honestly, they have taxpayers, let them stop fearing that one day they're going to get deported, that they're going to get thrown out. And I think that's what most people in this country want. The citizenship debate is a debate the politicians have because they want votes. The human debate is a debate by people who have been here 30 years saying, can't I just live? Why does somebody have to throw me out? That's the compromise. We're a compassionate nation. We're a nation of laws. You put the two together, we enforce our laws at the border. We don't let people in here anymore illegally. And in return, a category of Americans don't get citizenship or immigrants don't get citizenship. They don't have to fear getting thrown out every day. So it's going to be hard to get Democrats to go along with that. That's part of the compromise that makes it tough. One thing about it, and we watch Russia wither on the, on the vine. We watch Japan, their population declining and, and aging. But America doesn't have that problem because everyone still wants to come here. So we have to have, figure out a way to take that attraction, that magnet, 
and, and continue to grow the country with our country with the best interest in heart. Famously in Ellis Island, if you come in, if you have a disease, if, you don't, if they thought you were going to be living off the government, you probably weren't going to get in. What can you do to help America? No one was critical back then. Yeah, and that's another factor. We want people who are going to come here to make America a better place. And this is President Bush's point. Immigrants make America a better place. Immigrants enrich us. When you, I've been to swearing-in ceremonies, naturalization ceremonies of people who legally applied to become a citizen. They became a citizen. The joy, the pride, they're waving little American flags because they now have attained citizenship. It is a highlight of their life. My mother went through that. I'm a first-generation American. I love that fact about America. And the truth is a lot of the people who have the gumption to get up and go and come to a foreign country are the best workers, are the best citizens. And many of the people who remain behind, who are more complacent, don't take the risk. We want those risk takers, the entrepreneurs, the hard workers to come to America. But what we need is for people to come here legally and have a system then that rewards them and allows them to achieve. They're good people and we're a good country. It's too bad Congress isn't so good at making laws. But we couldn't be further enough away from a comprehensive immigration reform because Joe Biden's in the middle of a crisis. He's totally not even acknowledging. He used the word once through three masks uh, with a helicopter above him <laughs> by a total mistake. By the way, he's been vaccinated twice. He should not be wearing masks. Uh, but let's move on. Another action. I have another uh, two more areas to t- discuss with you that you know quite well, and that's Afghanistan. So after 20 years... Joe Biden wants to do what Donald Trump wants to do and pull out. But when you think about what our presence was doing, being that we thankfully haven't lost any casualties this year and only two the year before, knowing that we've lost more in uh, domestic accidents at bases than we'd had over in Afghanistan, you know our presence was yielding the same type of intelligence uh, that maybe we would get from South Korea, stopping North Korea from coming in, Japan from stopping China to taking over the whole region, Germany from stopping Russia from steamrolling into Western Europe. General H.R. McMaster sees our withdrawal as a disaster. Listen, cut 24. Well, I think it's an utter disaster, Fareed, and I think what's worth pointing out is that we are engaged in an extraordinary degree of self-delusion, what I call a battleground, strategic narcissism. The tendency to define the world only in relation to us and assume that what we do is decisive toward achieving a favorable outcome. And this self-delusion about the Taliban includes this idea, you know, that the Taliban really wants to share power. The Taliban, Fareed, is determined to reimpose the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. And we know the hell that would be for the Afghan people and the world because they did it between 1996 and, and 2001. Just got to be prepared as a country that the with $2 trillion we've put into this war to help train 300,000 forces is going to be helping prop up the Taliban, who are not going to see the wisdom, uh, the error in their previous uh, reign. And that's what General McMaster is saying. What are you saying, Ari? I have tremendously mixed feelings about this, Brian. You, you know, I was obviously there when September 11th happened. I was at the White House, and then the decision to go to war in Afghanistan to counterattack. I never in my wildest dreams in October of 2001 when we deployed thought American troops would be there 20 years later. It wasn't the purpose of the mission. None of us thought it would be a 20-year struggle. And I don't call it a 20-year war because this is not a hot war, not certainly for America. So there's a piece of me that understands that age-old American 
feeling, bring the troops home. We don't need to stay there forever. The flip side of that, of course, though, is history has shown and terrorists have shown that they gather where it's safe for them to gather. And if Afghanistan turns lawless because we're no longer there to help and the Taliban take over and they let al-Qaeda in or even the Taliban are bad enough themselves, then terrorists have a safe place from which to organize. And they've never stopped trying to attack America. That's for sure. The other problem is lesson learned from ISIS in Iraq. You know, after Barack Obama withdrew the troops from Iraq, ISIS formed. We had to send the troops back. Under Donald Trump, we destroyed ISIS virtually. Afghanistan is not so easy because it's a landlocked country, and we need air force bases in order to send troops back in if we ever have to break glass, send them back. You can't get them there unless you have permission from the neighboring nations, and I'm sure we're going to get that. Unlike Iraq, we had lots of ways to get troops back to Iraq when it have to, happened to defeat ISIS. If we're gone from Afghanistan, we're gone from Afghanistan. It's really, really, really hard to get back in. But it's mixed feelings, Brian. You know, I don't mind us bringing our troops home wherever we can, wherever we safely can. You know, you just you have to sometimes hope that the president of the United States, even if you don't like him, has access to good information, is making good decisions. And what tempers me on that is Joe Biden has a history of every successful foreign policy mission of the last 40 years. He opposed it. And every unsuccessful one, he was for it. Right. So his judgment isn't so good. And in fairness to me, because I like to be fair to myself. Uh, is that I was against President Trump when he said, I want to be out of May. And President Trump said, the president, you know, you should not wait till 9-11. You should be out now. And by the way, General yeah. Milley, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, reportedly was vigorously uh, campaigning just to leave a presence there. But about coming back in, Jake Sullivan was asked that yesterday. He's the National Security Advisor. And here's what he said, cut 19. I can tell you that President Biden has no intention of sending forces back to Afghanistan, but at the same time, he has no intention of taking our eye off the ball. We have the capacity from repositioning our capabilities over the horizon to continue to suppress the terrorist threat in Afghanistan. I can't make any guarantees about what will happen inside the country. No one can. All the United States could do is provide the Afghan security forces, the Afghan government, and the Afghan people resources and capabilities, training and equipping their forces, providing assistance to their government. We have done that, and now it is time for American troops to come home and the Afghan people to step up to defend their own country. So we're not going back in, so that's a relief. But he's going to keep his eye on it, so that'll be Chris. He's got a great telescope. Yeah, but there is one thing he said there that's valid, and this is the ultimate test. Now that we're leaving, will the Afghanis really start to manage things on their own? I mean, this is the old adage about the training wheels on the bicycle. At some point, you have to take your hand off the bike. Uh, they told me the same thing in Iraq. And you know who told me it? General Odierno. It's time to, take, time to take our hand off the bike seat. That went well. So we'll see. Um, I just thought if it was 20,000 troops, Ari, I'd say you're right. You know, we should scale back. But 2,000 and the benefits of being in the region, seeing what's going on, keeping an eye on Pakistan, having a perch to see China and Russia, and watch, uh, keep an eye on Iran while getting intelligence, while the CIA would have protection to work on the ground. I just think the upside's much greater, and there was no clamor to end the war in Afghanistan. Um, just like well, this- again, it's not a war in Afghanistan. For America, we haven't had a combat death in Afghanistan in more than a year. And as you point out, there were only two combat deaths last year. 
Um, it's mixed feelings, Brian. I mean, okay. This is a hard call. It's a difficult decision. And frankly, I, I see merit on both sides. The president's made his decision. I hope it turns out right. Uh, yeah, my fingers are crossed. Uh, but when the experts are telling me the, the ramifications, and I just know the Taliban's going to be taking that country back, that's going to be very hard for our soldiers that gave so much to, to digest. Um, Ari, thanks so much. Appreciate you joining us. Make sure to watch. Ari's part of a special on Wise Guys, Crisis at the Border. They go deep into a complex issue. It's on Fox Nation. Ari, thank you. You got it, Brian. Great to be with you. All right, same here. one 408 7669 Back in a moment. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If the Taliban has any expectation of getting any international acceptance, of not being treated as a pariah, it's going to have to respect uh, the rights of women and girls. Any uh, country that moves backwards on that, that tries to repress them, will not have that international recognition, will not have that international status, and indeed, uh, we will take action to, uh, uh, to make sure, to the best of our ability, that they can't do that. But Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, hoping for the best, obviously, but he's saying, well, if the Taliban take over, they're gonna, if they don't act uh, like a better world citizen, they're not going to get recognition. Number one, are you just telling us you think the Taliban's taking over? Wow, that is a huge admission. That means the government that we help finance, prop up, train everybody's security forces will be steamrolled and pretty much killed and assassinated. Next, you're saying that the Taliban care about how they're viewed outside their country. Why would they change now? They already got Pakistan as an ally. The Taliban, excuse me, China will deal with anybody. So, and Russia's fine with it as long as America looks bad. Howard, listening on Coil, uh, K-O-I-L, over in Nebraska, Omaha. Hey, Howard. Hey, Brian. Just like you're saying, the idea of a fair fight once once American NATO leaves, uh, take off the training wheels, it's going to be another Vietnam. It's going to be annihilation because all of America's enemies, the ones you listed and others, are going to help the Taliban. And at least in Vietnam, Vietnam was not is not sending terrorists our way. Yeah, uh, that was one thing we knew when we left. The Vietnamese weren't following us, only the ones that wanted freedom. Uh, they are these al-Qaeda and ISIS. We're, it's going to be down as a loss. And what I'm trying to say is I don't want the war to continue, but it is not a hot war. 2,000 people in an area that is not under attack, but we were able to use airstrikes to defend that government, allowing 20 years of women to be able to read, write, and be, uh, ascend with occupations and into government and allow them to understand that you don't have to live a life in the Stone Ages. It, we, we were almost there. Sean, listen, WD. By, by the way, I know most of you don't agree with me. Most, almost every Trump supporter doesn't agree with me, and now I know every Biden supporter doesn't agree with me. Sean, WDBO. Hey, Sean. Hey, good morning, Brian. How you doing? Good. Hey, so normally don't agree with Bill Maher at all, but I do think he's funny to a certain extent. But what he was saying this morning about how everything is, uh, is uh, going down here in Florida, granted, it's never going to be perfect. It's a pandemic, but you can only do what you can do. Yep. Ron DeSantis has handled it very well. And despite popular belief, I know that at least 75% of the people in the state of Florida can read. 
so <laughs> we're doing better than they think. Yeah, well, he wanted to make a disparaging comment about anything red, and you know, he did. He says, okay, everybody in uh, climate change, the fact that the world, according to him, is going to hell, or the earth is a problem, is Republicans' fault. But then he went out and just basically looked at the facts nobody else listens to. Keep in mind, Sean, you can't be a comedian in this environment. Every time you do something to offend someone, they try to cancel you. That's what comedy is. Talking about the extraordinary absurdities in society today, things you want to change, how you think different. But if you think different now, they get rid of you. People storm out. He's trying to save his job, too. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great weekend. Uh, We are coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We have a lot to discuss today. A lot of moving parts are going to be taking place as we try to keep up with a series of events. Hey, there's going to be some bipartisanship going on, at least some window dressing or talks in the White House. Mitt Romney and company, some Republicans will go over and talk to President Biden and company, along with some of their counterparts, about uh, infrastructure. Some signs from Chris Coons that they're looking to budge on this because Senator Cinema and Senator Manchin aren't. They want to see no reconciliation. They actually want to see some negotiation. And now I believe it might be true. Josh Rogan at the bottom of the hour. Josh Rogan wrote this book called Chaos Under Heaven. Uh, Pre- uh, Trump, President Xi, and the battle for the 21st century, where he looks at China, the infiltration, as well as the pandemic, and some of his revelations are, revelations are flat out stunning. He's the Washington Post reporter. He'll be joining us. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What's taking place right now throughout all of these universities and colleges and schools is a form of social engineering. They're taking your children. They're undermining parents at every single point. They don't want them to turn to mom and dad for answers. They want them to think that mom and dad are wrong, are backwards and racist, and that these children are, you know, so smart and so woke. Uh, That is Candace Owens. Obsession with race. Two elite and New York City schools are facing fallout amid race-based curriculum. Andrew Gutman, a fed-up father, wrote a scathing letter accusing the prestigious $54,000-a-year Beerly School of brainwashing students. Parents need to keep, uh, keep speaking out like Gutman. Number two. I think Americans are, are finally uh, paying attention to what a crisis on the border, the results of it. First of all, thousands of people are being released in the United States every day. So hundreds of them we know for, for a fact have been released with COVID, positive with COVID, into our communities. Uh, there you go. Tom Holman, Illegal Immigration Poll Show. Most media have moved on from this story, the calamity at the border. We have not. Kids cartels from dozens of nations flood our border, overwhelm our enforcement, and Biden is to blame. We have not moved on, and now Republicans are trying another weapon, the courts. I'll explain. Number one. We have got to not only stay in the street, but we have got to fight for justice. We've got to get more confrontation. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need this. 
Uh, that is Maxine Waters. A law of disorder and disrespect. Reform and riots. American cities showing discredit to our men and women in blue everywhere. Reforms in place in uh, 230 cities. Already, as the Derek Chauvin case goes to the jury sometime this week, closing arguments today. And that was Maxine Waters asking for more chaos in the streets. Do you believe that? More confrontation. This is a sitting lawmaker from Los Angeles butting in to a, a, a white-hot situation ready to explode. Michael Goodwin joins us now, Fox uh, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Uh, his latest column is uh, Joe Biden's Flavors of the Week, W-E-A-K. But first off, on Maxine Waters, is she going to get away with this? Good morning, Brian. Uh, probably, yes. Uh, the Democrats have made no uh, apologies for their support for what's been going on in the cities over the last year and a half or so. I mean, Joe Biden during the presidential campaign said nothing. I mean, I'll never forget at the Democratic National Convention, not one single word from any of the speakers about the violence in the streets that was then engulfing many cities. So it worked for them then. Uh, They don't need to condemn it. Uh, If those people in the streets uh, are voting, we know they're voting Democratic. And so they don't want to turn off the base. They don't want to turn off young voters. They don't want to uh, speak up for law enforcement. So anything that you can do or say to encourage people into the streets is a is a kind of virtue signaling. You're suggesting to them, you're telling them in so many words, you're with them. We're, we're against the police, too. We see the police as an occupying army. Therefore, go at it. Yeah, here's uh, the, her whole comments. This is part, not all of it, but she was just down there uh, acting, by the way, on the ground, talking to cameras after the curfew. <clears throat> Cut one. We're looking for a guilty verdict. If nothing does not happen, then we know uh, that we've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. We've got to get more confrontation. We've got to make sure that they they know that we need business. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, So she will incite more violence, and she is supporting more violence. Kevin McCarthy's going to rebuke her if Nancy Pelosi doesn't, but I don't think she's going to. She never says a word. This woman's 82 years old. Why is she raking havoc in a city nowhere near hers? Well, also, you know, I hadn't heard, Brian, the whole thing before, but it seemed to me that she was saying there, uh, if there isn't a guilty verdict. Yeah. So what kind – is that what the courts are now for, uh, to deliver the justice that the political class demands? Uh, what happened to laws? What happened to, you know, the self-defense? What happened to the rules of the court? It, it has to come out a certain way or it's invalid. That's the new democratic mantra, not just in a, in a criminal case but in politics as well. So we're going to pack the Supreme Court if we don't get the rulings we like. You know. If if uh, if if one house of the legislature doesn't go along with us, then they're all criminals too. I mean, this is a this is a tyrannical approach to government. It's not about getting the result that you want. It's about whether the process is fair. That's what we used to believe. I thought in. so. And it's yeah. not a sequestered jury either. Put it in perspective. I know everywhere I walk, I mean, if I know a police officer or someone in their family, they are outraged about what's happening. We saw the Molotov cocktail go out of a police car this weekend, a chemical spray in the officer's face. We saw an off-duty Asian officer get pushed on the tracks in the subway by a multiple offender. I think he's been arrested four times. And he got out again with the judge saying, my hands are tied. We're seeing chaos. But defunding the police 
almost lost them the house and will probably cost them the house next time. Anna Palmer on Meet the Press, she's with the brand new Bolt Punchball. She said this about why you notice a lot, a lot of Democrats avoiding what Maxine Waters is saying. Cut six. I think Congresswoman Tlaib is really out there on her own right now. And you've seen this pullback of Democrats after she made that tweet. Among them, Jim Clyburn, even progressives like Bernie Sanders. They do not want to have the rallying cry for the base to be defund the police. They think it is going to only hurt them going into the midterms. And sorry to bring it back to politics, but that's what this is for a lot of members of Congress. And if Democrats believe if they are not in power in Congress, then none of these kind of other issues could move forward. So I think you're going to see Democrats writ large move away from defund the police, try to find other measures that they can agree on. Well, you what they're going to agree on. I mean, irresponsible people won't won't say it like uh, Senator Chris Coons, but Democrats. But most of the uh, the the squad has been tweeting this stuff out. And the squad is the one getting all the publicity. Well, uh, don't forget, Brian, this this issue, of course, came up in the 2020 election. And uh, you're right that uh, had the had the Democrats not been wrapped with that uh, defund the police mantra, they probably would have picked up more House seats uh, at the very least and maybe even in the Senate. But but it's curious to me, too, that the Democrats who are not necessarily for that, they're not condemning Tlaib. They're not condemning uh, any of this stuff. They won't condemn Mac. Waters, they'll keep quiet about it out of solidarity with them. But then, what does that tell you? Where do they really stand on the police? Where do they really stand on safe streets and on respect for law and order? I mean, it tells me that they're not really committed to it. It's just the politics that is that is keeping them on the straight and narrow. But that's not conviction. That's just fear of politics. So, you your column is about. Joe Biden and how weak he has been, uh, the Jim Crow on steroids, the pullout of Major League Baseball, really uh, actually supporting Major League Baseball, boycotting another state, which is nuts. In Russia, he calls uh, Vladimir Putin soulless and says he's a killer and then expels some diplomats and then says, let's have a summit. Are you kidding? He allows his secretary of state to be berated in Alaska, and he has nothing to say back virtually uh, by the Chinese. What kind of message is, uh, is a 46th president giving off? Well, uh, Brian, I think it's weakness across the board. I mean, the incidents you mentioned, uh, the the, the sit-down with the Chinese diplomats who lectured America and uh, Secretary of State Blinken uh, blinked. Uh, He didn't really know what to say in response other than some kind of appeasing, well, we make mistakes too kind of idea. Uh, This is not the the conviction. This is not about uh, a government that's proud of its country. Uh, You've got the United Nations ambassador that Joe Biden picked, uh, blasting America as racist, Jim Crow woven uh, or uh, slavery woven into the fabric of our founding documents. Uh, It's uh, white supremacy everywhere. This is our own ambassador to the United Nations, which is so full of anti-Americanism. We've sent an anti-American ambassador there. How is that? And I would just say that Biden has been weak on the legislative front as well. Everything we know about his career in Washington, 
does not make sense. It does not comport with these big bills spending trillions upon trillions of dollars the country doesn't have for all these fancy progressive pork barrel projects. And so I think that Joe Biden is not leading his own party even. He's not leading America. He, he is following his own party. He is following the radicals in his own party. This, I think, is something that we're going to we should keep watching because I think it's going to keep showing itself more and more about what a weak president he is. And let's face it, you know, his physical frailties, I think, add to this image, uh, this thing of always wearing a mask, uh, even though he's vaccinated, even though all the people around him are vaccinated. I mean, it just adds to this sense of frailty. It does. And you have the president of the United States. Uh, the other president had the exact opposite image and people didn't like that. And now you have the media discovering for him, falling down the stairs, not making any sense at his press conferences. He wants everyone to get vaccinated, but wears two masks when he's by himself walking to Arlington. Are you kidding me? Anthony Fauci just as bad. He's letting Anthony Fauci set his policy. The guy doesn't want to do anything ever with anyone, period, uh, as long as there's one positive case in the country. So, but the thing is, it worries me, Michael Goodwin, is that the, pre- the president has 60% approval rating, 70% when it comes to COVID coverage, 42% when it comes to uh, 42% approval when it comes to the border, which is a cataclysmic disaster, a calamity like no other. And still only 42%, uh, he has 42% approval, which means only 58% disapprove of it. Do you think they got a built in uh, uh, floor on him? Well, I think there is some of that. Uh, don't forget, we're still we're still in the first hundred days, so there's kind of a honeymoon quality about it. Uh, and of course, the media. Uh, most people, I mean, they of course they're going to get their information from the media. We know the media is in the tank for Biden, uh, and so I think it's going to take time. But at some point, I think the media will either go silent. Uh, they, they won't necessarily be praising him, but I do think in the end that the truth will come out about what kind of president he is. I mean, I hope he will be a good president, but the signs so far are not that, and I think it will take a while uh, for it to become more apparent to, mo- to more people who are, you know, just sort of getting their headlines from the New York Times or the evening broadcast news and not seeing what's really going on. So I, I-, I am, you know, so, as I say, I hope he straightens this out, becomes a leader, but but I feel like it's endemic to who he is, to this stage of his life, to the stage of his party. And I think that uh, Donald Trump's uh, complaint that Joe Biden would be a Trojan horse for the far left is turning out to be true. It is uh, as true as the fact there was no bounty that Russia put on the heads uh, of American soldiers. It turns out it was one detainee with money in his pocket said he got it from Russia. Hardly the foolproof uh, proof that the New York Times told us they had, uh, the intelligence agencies told them they had. So that was also a lie uh, that Trump ended up being proven right uh, by saying, I believe that's fake news. You're right, Mr. Pre- former President. It was. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Brian. Thank you. You got it. That is uh, Michael Goodwin. Read his stuff in the New York Post or, N- or, or uh, NY. Uh, excuse me, M. Goodwin underscore NY Post, where to follow him. Uh, listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls. Then we welcome in Josh Rogan. He's got some fascinating revelations about the U.S.-China relationship, including the Wuhan lab and this guy named Anthony Fauci. Connections. You got to stay and you got to hear it. Your call's next. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's uh, my uh, my pleasure to tell you in about 10 minutes we'll be able to speak to Josh Rogan. He'll bring a perspective on China, our relationship with China, what happened during the four years with Donald Trump that really moved our countries into more of a confrontational stance that was way overdue, that even the Biden administration realizes we have no other choices. They steamroll Hong Kong, start arresting every successful entrepreneur, and now they're threatening to do the same thing with Taiwan while trying to infiltrate our country every way possible. So we'll talk to him in about 10 minutes about a book that he wrote. I think one of the quotes is uh, very interesting. He said, I, he told his editors of the Washington Post, while everyone was talking about Russia, he said, I'm not a Republican or Democrat. While everyone else was talking Russia, I said, send me to China. Because he wanted nothing to do with the declining power. He knew that China was going to be our confrontational power. He was right. Will is listening on the Fox News Radio app in Pittsburgh. Hey, Will. Hey, Brian. Love your show as always. And thank you. uh, thanks for having that, that last guy on there because he's spot on. You know, the issue we have here is where are all the De- Democrats? Where are all the Republicans that are speaking out against what's going on in Minneapolis with mixed Maxine Waters and everything else is going on? And until you can have the Democrats coming out here and speaking outwardly uh, about all this nonsense that's going on, it's never going to stop. Never. It's never going to stop. It's not. It's not going to stop. But, two, I mean, I'm, no. I'm watching him waffling all over the place. Do you realize that yeah. we turned around okay. two destroyers yesterday, uh, on Thursday, and now they're shutting yeah. off this whole strait that surrounds uh, – that, that is, uh, gives us access to Crimea? Do you know that they put another 20,000 yeah. troops on the border? So, I mean, what are we doing? Uh, everywhere we go, we're being confronted. In Iran, we are begging – to get back into the Iranian deal in Vienna, a deal that's almost expired and was terrible to start with. I mean, what's going on? Leaving Afghanistan? What do you think that says to China, who now is setting up trade relationship with Afghanistan, and they got those, uh, those rare earth, uh, the rare earth uh, stones in that country that we just don't seem to want to do a contract with or mine ourselves? So it's amazing what's, what's happening, how he's getting a complete pass on this. It's un- it's unreal. But until we get uh, to come together as Democrats and Republicans to speak outwardly every day on this, what's going on, nothing's ever going to change. Thanks so much Thanks. for the call. Ron, KSLM in um, in Oregon. Hey, hey, Ron. Sir, Brian, God bless you. I'm going to lay up facts. Number one, I grew up in Los Angeles. I knew Maxine Waters for 49 of my 54 years. When Tom Brady was the first black mayor of Western Mississippi, she was a radical then. 72, 73. She was also involved in the city council in L.A. It took our law enforcement to undermine them. My neighborhood on 91st and Normandy in South Central was middle class. We had a quarter-acre backyard, a pond, the American dream, hardwood floors, everything. By 75, we had to move our neighborhood. Crime went up, enabling the revolving door of the – empowered the gangs, empowered hardened criminals. By 75, per capita had a higher murder rate, robbery rate. Assaults and everything. This is her policy for the last 49 years of my 54 years. She insults me as a black American. She goes against everything that Reverend King, Billy Graham, Strengths and Notch, and everybody talk about uh, how to be judged by a character. She undermines our whole structure. She don't even live in her district. I hear you, Ron. He, she's got a huge mansion outside your district. 
must be really aggravating. She produces nothing except anger and hate. 1-866-408-7669. Thanks for the up-close personal view. Josh Rogan next. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You know who doesn't care that there's a stereotype of a Chinese man in a Dr. Seuss book? China. All 1.4 billion of them could give a crouching tiger flying f- because they're not a silly people. If anything, they are as serious as a prison fight. Look, we all know China does bad stuff. They break promises about Hong Kong autonomy. They put Uyghurs in camps and punish dissent. And we don't want to be that. But it's got to be something between authoritarian government that tells everyone what to do and a representative government that can't do anything at all. And that is uh, Bill Maher ranting with his guest, Josh Rogan, about to be interviewed. He's the author of uh, Chaos Under Heaven, not Bill Maher, but Josh Rogan of the Washington uh, Post. Uh, Trump, she, and the battle for the 21st century. Uh, Josh, uh, welcome back, or welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, great to be with you, Brian. So, so Josh, he pretty much nailed it. I mean, you, when did you realize, you, you talk about in your book, there's a moment when a lot of people who are serious about foreign policy realize what China is capable of and what their objectives are. For you, it was 2003 in, when you watched what China was doing with Sudan. Right. I don't think that Bill Maher is exactly correct. Uh, correct. I don't think China has won. I think that they could win, and that's why we have to— do a lot more to confront the Chinese Communist Party on a range of fronts. And that's something that I came to as a reporter and columnist over the last 17 years or so, and that a lot of other Americans came to over the course of the Trump administration, which turned U.S. foreign policy toward China in a new and unchangeable way. And then, of course, everyone in the world came to that realization when the pandemic hit, because you realized if you were stuck in your basement, if you couldn't see your grandmother and whatever country you were in, that the Chinese Communist Party's actions and strategy exacerbated your suffering in some way or another. So now we're at this point in our history, no matter how we got here, no matter when we figured it out, where we realize that we have a problem here. And that's not just America. That's all free and open societies all over the world who are facing uh, China that's increasingly internally repressive, externally aggressive, and interfering in our society and affecting our security, our public health, and our prosperity. And we got to do something about it. So now that we're all have that realization, the question is, what do we do about it? Yeah, what do we do about it? For you, you realized uh, how bottom line they were in 2003 in Darfur when you see this this government committing genocide against their people, and all China cares about is the oil. So we supported that horrible government, right? Exactly. We had this bet that if we just gave China all of our money and took all of their money and engaged them as much as possible, that they would liberalize economically and that would cause them to liberalize politically. And then we would live in peaceful coexistence and everything would be hunky-dory. What I started to see in 2003 was that what China was doing around the world, forget about for a second what they're doing in their own country, which is horrendous, what they were doing around the world was that they were combining you know, um, really uh, support of genocide and economic coercion and resource draining and and abuse of all of these countries and corruption and debt and all of this stuff 
all together into one thing, and that's what they were doing in Sudan. They were supporting a genocide while taking the oil, while helping the government kill the people. And they were doing that because it was in their interest, and they didn't care about the world order that we profess to believe in that has kept our country safe more or less since World War II. And now we have to realize that they're not just doing that in Sudan. They're doing that all over the world. They're trying to do that inside of our own borders, and we need a national response. We need an, an international response that takes away politics and focuses on the fact that what we're dealing with in the Chinese Communist Party is something that is uh, adverse to our interests and our values. And we have to realize that uh, right away. But we have uh, we have a formidable foe. You could argue much more formidable than the Soviets. But what did, when Trump wins Correct. the election, do you believe China shocked? Everyone was shocked. Okay, I was shocked. I don't know if you were shocked. Some people were more shocked than others. The Chinese Communist Party was definitely shocked because they had just met with the Obama team, Rice and Kerry. One week before the election, who promised them that everything was going to be fine, that Hillary Clinton was going to win, and the relationship was going to be lovely. Okay, And so when Trump comes in, they heard what he said on the campaign trail, and they immediately called upon their billionaire friends, including Henry Kissinger and the like, to help them get out of this, to help them avoid what was coming. And that is the frame of the book. It's the fact that you had a lot of people inside the Trump administration who are working to change our U.S. policy toward China in a more competitive and, yes, even sometimes more confrontational direction. At the same time, you have these other people who were helping the Chinese Communist Party subvert all of that. And that's the struggle. And that's what President Trump was dealing with. And he made some mistakes, but he did some things right. And that's what the book is about. It's not a pro-Trump book. It's not an anti-Trump book. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, in the end, we turned out with a much tougher Trump policy toward China. And that's partially because Trump eventually realized that this is a problem that he had to deal with on a range of fronts, and also because the Chinese Communist Party uh, did a lot of things that made the world sick, and that convinced a lot of people both inside and outside the administration that we had to take the gloves off. Yeah, absolutely. So you talk about – everybody else was talking about Russia, Russia, Russia. You told your right. editors, send me to China. Uh, you're not a Republican or Democrat. You, go, you love foreign policy, and you said That's China's right. going to be the focus. Now it seems like everyone's coming around to that. As it turns out, Russia is the declining power and China is the rising power. And no matter what you think about Russiagate, it doesn't matter because what we have to do is focus on what's going on right now. And what's going on right now is that the most important in issue in U.S. foreign policy really in the world is the U.S.-China relationship, and we have to get it right. And that doesn't mean we have to bring down the CCP tomorrow, and it doesn't mean we have to totally separate our two economies. We don't want a Cold War. That's the bumper sticker that they'll tell you, oh, what are you, crazy Americans? You want a Cold War? That's what the Chinese like to say. But no, it's actually a little bit more nuanced than that. We have to deal with a China that is very powerful and very rich in doing things in countries all over the world, and also exerting influence on our politics and interfering in our media and in Hollywood and in our sports and on our campuses and in Silicon Valley and on Wall Street. Those are very big institutions that are not really good at working on foreign policy, much less with the U.S. government and the FBI. But we all got to come together on this thing. And that's a much more difficult problem than the Soviet Union ever was. And that's what we have to wrap our minds around before we figure out what to do. So, Josh, if people want to know, you know, who aren't into foreign policy like you are, and say, why, why should I care? Just think about this. They came out with a statement at H&M that, you know, they want to make sure the Uyghurs weren't making the cotton. The slave labor wasn't making the cotton for their products. Right. Same thing with Nike. And Nike, excuse me, China goes, gets mad at them and starts uh, sanctioning them and threatens to let them right. tell them we're going to move your stuff out. The NBA has a general manager uh, retweet something in support of Hong Kong. 
And all right. of a sudden, the NBA is barred for no one could see any NBA games in China. So this is how uh, on edge this relationship is and how arrogant this the emerging power has become. Think of the arrogance, and you're exactly right. Think of the arrogance of the Chinese Communist Party to say, not only can't you tweet what you want to tweet, if one person in your company tweets it, we're going to kill the whole company. We're going to destroy your business in China and anywhere that we can. Uh, and there's not enough graveling and bowing and scraping that you can do to get out of it. Okay, And that's what happened with the NBA. That's what happened with H&M and Nike. And their only objection was that they wouldn't shut up about mass atrocities that are happening on our watch. Now, the reason that that's not going to work, I think, is because Americans, as they learn about these things, and you know, they are learning about these things, Americans are not stupid. They don't want to put the slave labor cotton on their backs. They don't want to put the hair that was shaven off of the women's heads, the human hair that came from the concentration camps. They don't want to put that on their heads once they know that's where it came from. So that bullying tactic only goes so far once the American people are woken up to this kind of thing. And I would just say to anyone who isn't convinced, how do you like your pandemic? Because that pandemic would have been a lot less deadly, a lot less uh, um, crazy, a lot less uh, dangerous if the Chinese Communist Party had not gauged in a year-long campaign to hide what it knew about it. That continues to this day. They still won't tell us what they know. They took everybody who blew the whistle and they threw them in prison or they died of COVID. And now here we are a year later. The WHO totally botched their report. They, it was a total whitewash written, according to Anthony Blinken, by the Chinese government itself. They investigated themselves, okay, and then told us to shut up if we dare not go along. And so I would say to anyone who's not convinced that this is a problem, do you want to do this every year or do you want to figure out what's going on with this pandemic so that we can stop it and prevent the next one? So we're wondering why uh, there isn't more outrage in the medical community, the WHO, about this. And while it turns out the WHO had their president put there by China— uh, George Bush was looking the other way, didn't think it was that big of a deal who appoints it. Even though we give the bulk of the money, they have the most bulk of the influence. And then you point out, too, that there's a complicated relationship that you say in the media it's not a good time to bring up between Anthony Fauci, the, uh, the NIH, and this Wuhan lab, which may in fact have given birth to this poison that has infected the earth. Could you talk about that? Yeah, so on the WHO, you know, they are caught between a rock and a hard place because they, they are dependent on the Chinese, and the Chinese are laundering, the Chinese Communist Party, rather, is laundering its lies through the WHO, and the WHO has become a laundromat for Chinese Communist Party propaganda, which is a big problem, okay? doesn't mean we should nix the WHO. It means we should try to fix it, in my view. But the bottom line is that that WHO director that you talk about, Dr. Tedros, when they're releasing the report that says we shouldn't look into the lab, makes a speech saying, actually, we should look into the lab. Let me repeat that for your listeners. The head of the WHO, not a pro-Trump, anti-China, racist, conspiracy theorist, said we have to look into the lab, directly contradicting his own report. There's a reason he did that. It's because everyone now understands that that's a possible theory. We don't know that it, that it came from the lab. This is a theory that there was an accident, that this lab that was doing all the back coronavirus research in the world had a, a horrible accident, and then they covered it up. That's the theory. Not a bioweapon, just an accident. And we have to look into it. And now Robert Redfield, the head of the CDC at the time, again, not that he never made a mistake or anything like that, but he's a virologist. He saw the intelligence. He says we have to look into the lab. And once you get that into your head, like, okay, well, listen, it's not a bad thing to say we have to look into the lab, even though for a year we were told, don't you dare say that. 
Uh, now we can just openly talk about looking into this lab. Well, what does that mean? Well, this lab was doing research with Americans, with American scientists. It's called gain-of-function research. It's where they take a bunch of dangerous viruses and try intentionally to make them more dangerous in the lab to try to predict what, how they might emerge in a pandemic. And the theory that Robert Redfield has endorsed is that actually that research may have caused the pandemic. Again, quite by accident, a horrible tragedy, but a tragedy that we need to understand nonetheless. And the head of that gain-of-function research is Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has been telling us, you know, we don't really need to look into the lab. Now, if you just said that those sentences in a row to people who didn't understand that those were, you know, uncomfortable and impolite things to say in the media and in Washington society, most Americans would listen to that and most Americans who hear that for the first time say, oh, well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, let's just look into the lab. Oh, wait, that means we're going to have to look into the lab's best friends. That includes Dr. Fauci. But that's a very sort of impolite thing to say in Washington. But I, I say it because it's true and because it's the direct and simple implication of what Robert Redfield said, which is that this research might have caused a pandemic. we got to figure it out one way or the other. Hey, Josh, when, why is that not a story of the Washington Post outside you? Like, it why, is. I what, wrote it in the but, but right, but like, why is it? Why why is the media not want to report on that? That, that that's a major story. I mean, it's the same media that you know, blew the lid off the Bill Clinton scandal, right? The New York Times did a lot of the impeachment investigation on that. Like, what's happened? You know, for a year we were told, don't worry about the origin because the most important thing is that people are sick and dying. And now that we were told, oh well, we can't write about the lab theory because then you're agreeing with Trump and Trump's a racist. Tom so Cotton shouldn't agree with Trump. Yeah. Or Tom Cotton or Mike Pompeo. And then we had these scientists who are the friends of the lab, who are the guys who worked with them, telling them, that, telling us that, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. That's racist. You can't talk about the lab. And then Big then Tech exact- takes down anything that you have up there that says that. Exactly. So this is a, I, I understand how we got here. The story got all screwed up for a lot of reasons. And some of it was the media's fault. And some of it was the fault of these scientists who had clear conflicts of interest, like the EcoHealth Alliance, and they were the friends of the lab, and they're telling us not to look at the lab. And then they went to the lab and asked the Wuhan scientists, did you do it? They said, no, okay, case closed, Nobody, everybody believe us, and that just is not going to stand anymore. Now, I don't know why the media seems so uninterested in solving this pandemic. I can't figure that out. It boggles my mind, okay? My, my working theory is that they don't want to admit that they were wrong. You know, that if you are getting attacked and, and oh, well, don't you want to, you know, your instinct is to say, oh, well, I tweeted something in March 2020, and I don't want to go back on that because I'm going to get dunked on by whoever. But what I'm saying is that's not important. Nobody should care about that. I don't care what you tweeted, Brian, in March 2020. Yep. I'm not going to tell you what I tweeted in March 2020 because it's April 2021, and we got to look into the lab. we got to figure this out. It's a matter of our public health. It's a way to prevent the next pandemic so that we don't have to do this every two years. And so my, I'm, not, I'm not here to dunk on the media. I'm here to beg the media, hey, why don't you be interested in solving the pandemic? Join me in trying to figure this out. And if it goes the other way and it turns out it wasn't the lab, great. I'm, I'm, that's fine. I don't care what the outcome is. I just care that we figure it out one way or the other. And there are some more and more people in the media and in the scientific community coming out, I would say bravely, because you're going to get attacked. And I've been attacked now, but it's not the point. It's not about me. Nobody cares about me. It's about solving the pandemic. And it's going to take a lot of people, including Congress, by the way, Kathy McForest Rogers, uh, the Republican head of the Energy Committee, wrote a letter to the EcoHealth Alliance saying, we're going to need to look at your work with the Wuhan labs. And 
this is the first time I've really seen a leading congressperson say, okay, well, listen, if you think the labs are so innocent that you should have no trouble turning over your books to us and all the work that you were doing with the Wuhan labs, because you know what? The Chinese Communist Party is probably not going to let us really investigate the labs. Well, we can investigate our labs. Again, the labs that are in the system run by Anthony Fauci. So that's the good place to start. That's what we can do right now. Hey, Josh Rogan, everyone's got to go out and get your book. It's called Chaos Under Heaven. We've got to have you back. I'm up against a hard break now. But uh, it just I, I appreciate what you're doing, and I love the way you keep politics out of it. You just want answers, and your topic affects every single person on the planet. Nobody's expunged <laughs> from it. So thanks so much for coming out with this. Appreciate it. Anytime. All right. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Lots of other good comments, but we will see you up on the radio. Oh, we got that. Let's see your phone. (laughs) All right, we'll see you later. (laughs) I finally pee in his coffee and he spills it. (laughs) That was, okay, we've got to explain that to people. Uh, We were doing Facebook Live. I had a brand new coffee filled up. I ran out to do the Facebook Live in the green room from Fox and Friends, and I knock over the whole coffee all over my phone and everything else. You were taping the whole thing. Correct. You put it up. It was, well, it was on Facebook Live anyway, but I might have given, you know, Gavin, the executive producer of Fox and Friends, a heads up. Ends up being a bigger deal. Yeah. And then Gutfeld used it at night. It, Do you opened, feel guilty at all? I actually feel a little proud. I feel like we got a lot of nice radio publicity out of you <laughs> spilling your coffee. And it was also last week, so it was hot, whereas it was this week, it would have been cold. Right. <laughs> That's right. Because I had just discovered how great cold brew can be. I never really had it before. I didn't get the whole concept. It's new. And evidently... The preferred drink of millennials. It's not that new. But isn't it, don't they have, doesn't it have more caffeine too, I believe? It seems it. But I I like the fact that it it has one mission. It wants to be cold. It's not coffee that's hot that's made cold. So they say it's a pure, rich aroma. I love how you're just like, you know, figuring out hot coffee is just okay because it doesn't really want to be hot. Right. I so, mean, this is how we're talking about so, coffee. So, so listen to this. So on the show, I bring up that I think I'm going to go to cold brew coffee. This is going to be a big thing. This way, I don't want to eat sugar in it. And if you have the sweet cream, they said it's a sweet foam. So I go, this could be it. And no one could believe I just found out about this. And I said, it's new. And they said it wasn't. And when you Google it, 1600s. And to be fair, too, you have three young kids. Right. Or hip. Right. And uh, Katie, Katie does like cold brew. I'm not sure if Kirsten does. But Katie has gone that way, which she's in high school. I don't know if she should. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we'll be joined by Brett Baer coming to you. Uh, Brett will be in Washington. I'm in New York. And you can hear it around the country, around the world, 
Uh, and, of course, you can get it streaming, BrianKilmeadShow.com. And if you want to see what I look like, and that's a fascinating experience, you go to Fox Nation. We, sh- we show every single three-hour broadcast uh, live. So that's great, and we uh, archive it as well. And we have uh, General H.R. McMaster, best-selling author, is going to be here uh, talking about a few things. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they they know that we mean business. Totally irresponsible. Maxine Waters out there in Minneapolis wreaking additional havoc after the curfew. As a sitting lawmaker, that's despicable. Law, disorder, disrespect, reform, and riots. American cities showing discredit to our men and women in blue. Reforms in place in over uh, 230 cities already as the Derek Chauvin case goes to the jury. jury. Final arguments are right now. Should the verdict not go against the officer, no city is safe. Number two. I think Americans are, are finally uh, paying attention to what a crisis on the border, the results of it. First of all, thousands of people are being released in the United States every day. So hundreds of them we know for, for a fact have been released with COVID, positive with COVID, into our communities. Uh, that, of course, is Tom Holman, illegal immigration. Polls show most media have moved on from the calamity at the border. Kids cartels from dozens of nations flood our border, overwhelming enforcement, and Biden is to blame. We have not moved on in this show. Now Republicans are now Republicans trying to use another weapon to try to get President Biden's attention. The courts, I'll explain. Number one. If the Taliban has any expectation of getting any international acceptance, of not being treated as a pariah, it's going to have to respect the rights of women and girls. Any uh, country that moves backwards on that will not have that international status. And indeed, uh, we will take action to, uh, uh, to make sure, to the best of our ability, that they can't do that. Wow, Taliban is so concerned about their status, too. Afghanistan, most applaud the exit, but not me. Why our presence is as valuable there as it is in South Korea, Germany, and Japan, and why it makes no sense uh, to hand this country back to the Taliban, which it seems like the attorney general was just doing Excuse me, the uh, Secretary of State was just doing by saying when the Taliban takes over. Really? There's a sitting government there right now. Joining us now to talk about this is General H.R. McMaster, the same one uh, who was uh, National Security Advisor for President Trump and author of Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World. General, welcome back. Hey, Brian. It's great to be with you. I was so glad Fareed Zakaria had you on right after President Ghani to talk about, in a very rational way, why it's in America's best interest no war. You're not a warmonger. You know what war looks like. Why it's in our best interest to stay there. How disconcerted are you yeah, that we're not? I'm really upset about this one, Brian. I mean, I think that it's appalling, right? It's appalling because it's all of this, this, this withdrawal and self-defeat, we've defeated ourselves, is based on self-delusion. I mean, we have conjured up the enemy we would prefer in Afghanistan. You know, we, I mean, as if the, the Taliban will take a more benign view, you know, when, when they take over power, uh, in, instead of reimpose the brutal Sharia that the Afghan people suffered under you know, from 1996 to 2001. I mean, it's not a theoretical case what they're going to do. And when people make this case, Brian, for, like, for power sharing with the Taliban, I mean, what, what are they talking about? Are they talking about every other girls' school bulldozed? Are they talking about mass executions in the soccer stadium every other Saturday? I mean, the Taliban hasn't changed at all. We know this, too, from areas of the country that they have reestablished control. They're flogging women in public. They're closing girls' schools. They're reimposing the same brutality that they evidenced before. 
And then we came up with this other, you know, this other idea that, oh, well, maybe they'll be completely separate, you know, from, from Al-Qaeda and other groups. They're completely intertwined with, with Al-Qaeda. I mean, Ayman al-Zawahri, who's the, the head of Al-Qaeda, has said that, that the establishment of the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan is the first step in reestablishing the caliphate broadly. So, I mean, it, it, is, it is a, complete, a completely opposite of reality. Uh, is is the, the way we've defined the war. Here is a uh, Gahani talking about women. If you know, we're assuming, of course, they're going to lose power. Can you imagine the moment in America when Gahani is forced from power because the Taliban uh, is, decides they want to take Kabul, and with our without our air cover and support and NATO's presence, it could happen. Here's cut uh, twenty one. What happens to women in Afghanistan twenty years ago under the Taliban? They couldn't go to school. They could barely leave their houses. They couldn't work. Uh, women in Afghanistan today is a completely different position. Um, there have been massive strides. Is there a danger of all that being reversed? Well, of course, there's a risk. But the women of Afghanistan I'm very proud of now speak for themselves, organize for themselves, and have, nation, and have turned into a nationwide movement. If the Taliban want to be stakeholders in the future, they need to recognize that women of Afghanistan aspire to the type of freedom that existed during the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Sounds reasonable. You think they'll, they'll do that? No, uh, no. I mean, the Taliban have already showed that they're, they're going to continue their misogynistic approach, you know, and and, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's amazing to me is, you know, the, the people who are most adamant for withdrawing, the very small forces we had there, Brian, I think it's really important for yeah. people to understand. We, we only had 3,500 troops there. And then people are saying, well, you know, we, we can't really sustain that. It's really hard because we have to focus on China. And I want to say, hey, hey, listen, we're not Ecuador. You know, I mean, we can, we can, we can have 3,500 troops there. We've taken very few casualties, no casualties uh, for the last year. The, the European troops that are in Afghanistan are three times the number that we had, and and the commitment was it was on its way down to about twenty billion dollars a year. That sounds like a lot, but it's really a very small amount uh, as an insurance policy to ensure that those who helped perpetrate nine eleven, who gave you know who, who gave safe haven to to the Al Qaeda mass murderers, can never again control territory and resources. And you know, Brian, what's what's astounding about this is. We haven't learned from even our most recent experiences. You know, it was the complete withdrawal from Iraq in December 2011 when Vice, then Vice President Biden called up President Obama and said, thank you for allowing me to end this goddamn war, is what he said on, on the phone to President Obama. Well, hey, wars don't end when, when one side disengages. It's not as if the Afghans you know, or, or the, the, uh, the, the Taliban or in, in the case of, of um of Iraq, al-Qaeda in Iraq, looked around and said, hey, well, the Americans are gone. Let's just, let's just stop fighting. And so, you know, I, I think we have to remember what the, you know, the great uh, philosopher G.K. Chesterton said. He, he once said that, you know, war is not the best way of settling differences, but it, it's, it's the only way to ensure they're not settled for you. And, and I think that we are, you know, we're, we're basing this withdrawal, this self-defeat on, on just fundamentally flawed assumptions. So William Burns, the new CIA director, uh, in testimony last week, said to Congress, when the time comes for the U.S. military to withdraw, the U.S. government's ability to collect and act on threats will diminish. That is simply a fact. But Anthony Blinken came out and said this uh, yesterday, cut 16. 
we will have the means uh, to uh, see if there is a resurgence, a reemergence uh, of a terrorist threat from Afghanistan. We'll be able to see that uh, in, uh, in real time with time to, uh, to take action. And we're going to be repositioning uh, our forces and our assets to make sure that we guard against the potential reemergence. By the way, the Taliban in the agreement reached by uh, the Trump administration uh, with the Taliban is also committed uh, not to allow al-Qaeda or other uh, terrorist groups that might target the United States to reemerge. Your witness. Yeah, oh my gosh. I mean, you're going to take the Taliban's word for this? I mean, you know, they, they've been stepping up their attacks ever since the, this, this peace, so-called peace capitulation agreement, you know, was, was signed. We made concession after concession, and it didn't even insist on a ceasefire. Afghan civilian casualties are up 38%, and over 4,000 Afghan soldiers and, and police have given their lives defending against the Taliban since the so-called peace agreement was signed. We know for a fact, for a fact that, that al-Qaeda and the Taliban are completely intertwined. Al-Qaeda has pledged bayat or loyalty to, to the Islamic Emirate of, of, of Afghanistan, a member of the Haqqani Network, which is an al-Qaeda-affiliated uh, terrorist organization, is the military commander of the Taliban. So it, it is a complete fantasy that, these, that, that we're going to partner with the Taliban against terrorists. I mean, that is the height of, of self-delusion, Brian. And, I, I felt and, the uh, same and, 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 yeah. and, uh, Go ahead. No, go ahead. go ahead. I felt the same way when President Trump said it. He just wanted out. But 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 his military. But he would eventually listen to Milley when they held off, and they held off taking everybody out of Syria. But I thought it was a huge mistake. Just to, it's easy on the surface to say why are we still there in twenty years. But you got to dig into stuff like that. It's too complicated just to say get out or stay. Don't you agree? I I, com- I completely agree. And you know the, the narrative on this is so wrong. It's, it's so wrong, right? It's so so. You know, President Trump's priority was burden sharing. He's like, okay, why do we have to do all this? You know, how can, why can't others do more? Well, that's what we got to. <laughs> when you only have 3,500 troops there, your allies have, you know, three times that amount. NATO. You have a sustainable effort. And, and guess who's bearing the brunt of the fight are the Afghans. Afghans. And, you know, you know, you know what was stomach-turning for me, Brian, was in, in, in President Biden's speech when he said, hey, you know, they came in with this and they're going to come out with this, our, our coalition partners. What about your coalition partners that are actually doing the fighting, the Afghans? We're throwing them under the bus on the way out, Brian. If we just wanted to leave, we should have just left, right? Now, instead, we've made concession after concession. We forced them to release 5,000 of some of the most heinous people on Earth. I know, and 2,000 are are coming out next, right? We're going to let out another 2,000, too. And and it gets worse, right? It gets worse because every time you hear— a member of the administration talk, they're talking about, well, we really need to get President Ghani, you know, to, to do more for the peace process. Well, you know, how about, you know, Haibatullah Akinzada, the head of the Taliban? Who's talking about the Taliban's, you know, re- responsibility for peace? The cause of, of the continuation of the war has not been the Afghan government. It's been the Taliban. So it's, you know, I don't know if you remember the old Seinfeld episode, Bizarro World, Brian, but it, this is Bizarro World. It's everything's mm-hmm. opposite. <laughs> created a, a completely different reality right. from the reality that's on the ground in Afghanistan. So I want you to hear a little bit more for Gahani. China, will China fill the void? After all, they basically took over Pakistan when we pulled back. Cut 23. China, I believe, is not an interventionist power. It does not want to get engaged with military uh, or proxy wars. And Pakistan, in terms of its foreign policy, obviously is hedging. 
between China and other countries because it's still its reliance on the rest of the region is quite significant. Pakistan can become an anchor of regional stability if it opts for peace in regional cooperation. Uh, the discourse of Pakistan has changed. There was a security conference in Islamabad where the talk is really significantly about harmony and uh, cooperation. Uh, to expect that China, after the great COVID reset and the significant adverse impact, will get involved in regional conflicts directly, I think is remote. Your thoughts on China's objective and Pakistan's objective now? <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so Pakistan has been using terrorist organizations as an arm of their foreign policy since 1947. And there's a huge reason why Afghanistan remains uh, unstable and enmeshed in, in, in violence. It's because they helped the Taliban rebuild after we defeated the Taliban, drove them into Pakistan in December 2001. Uh, and and they, they also provide support for a range of terrorist organizations, 20, you, over 20 U.S.-designated terrorist organizations that are on the, in the territory of, of Pakistan. So Pakistan allows this terrorist ecosystem to exist in which these terrorist organizations share people, they share resources, you know, they share know-how. And that's what makes this such a dangerous part of the world, right? Part of the narrative of the, of the Biden administration has been, hey, well, you know, terrorist, terrorism has really spread like all over the world. Therefore, we have to leave one of the two real epicenters of terrorism to be more effective. I don't understand that at all. And the other, yeah. you know, the other delusional aspect of this is that Pakistan's now going to be a stakeholder in stabilizing the situation in Afghanistan. Of, of course they're not, right? What, what they want is, that, is they want you know, a Taliban government in power that, that, you know, that, that they, can, they can have a, a high degree of influence over uh, as a way to, to hedge against their main regional adversary, uh, India. And of course, what, what Pakistan does reliably is they act as their own worst enemy. They've created these Frankenstein monsters you know, of, of terrorist organizations within their territory that turn against Pakistan. And this is why the stakes are very high in the region, too, Brian. Pakistan has nuclear weapons. So if, if you can imagine, if Pakistan becomes destabilized as these, as these groups grow in power, they could yeah. conceivably gain access to the most destructive weapons on Earth. Uh, General, I, I don't blame Kahani. He, he's horrified, I'm sure, if he gave him sodium pentothal. He's trying to spin it the best way possible and talk about hopes and dreams and gains. But he, he's been a much better partner than Karzai. And we had a much better partner Absolutely. there, and there was no urgency to get 2,000 out, I don't think. General H.R. McMaster, thanks so much. Continue to be a voice of reason and research. Hey, thanks, Brian. Great to be with you. All right. Thanks so much. Pick up his book. It's called Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World. It's a bestseller. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Let's go out to Gabe, listening to the Fox News Radio app in Wisconsin. Hey, Gabe. 
Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on, man. It's uh, the only thing I really wanted to talk about was everything that's going on in the political climate, the new riots and stuff like that. It's I don't understand why people can't just learn to agree to disagree and when the liberals and conservatives are going to learn that they need to put the needs of the American people above their own political image. People are getting hurt and dying out there, man. I've seen it firsthand in Kenosha twice now, and it's it's sad. It's honestly sad. I mean, you had the shooting, too, the in Kenosha over the weekend, too, and you also had the uh, riots in North Carolina, of all places. New York City had an incident where they're throwing acid at cops and Molotov cocktails at their car. And then you see what's happening in, in separate cities within Minnesota, let alone what's going to happen after this verdict. Regardless, it's not going to be yeah. good enough for people like Maxine Waters. Yeah, Maxine Waters is like the prime example of people who claim to, you know, want unity and, you know, do away with the divisiveness, but then they're out there saying that stuff, and they're passing it from violent rhetoric to actual calls to action and actual calls to violence, and it's just it, – this the hypocrisy is sad, man. It's just sad. I mean it's like endless too. You just wonder where the idiots come from, and soon when the, when the sane people are going to start taking over. We got to get away from the the fringe elements here. The Maxine Waters of the world get way too, and the squads of the world get way too much time. And I think we got to go back to reasonable people. Actually, you know what's going on? The infrastructure bill, which we've been trying to get since two thousand nine, the infrastructure bill. They're actually talking to each other, and it might actually end up being brittle, brittle, uh, bridges and tunnels and roads and dams. So we might have something begin to get done, and maybe infrastructure will be the start on that. And maybe we can get the President of the United States to pay attention to the calamity at the border. That would be more than the start. I'm going to talk to Brett Baer about that when we come back to see if any of those two developments are going to come to fruition on Capitol Hill. And also talk about this exciting move. Corporate America has said goodbye for now to the Republican Party. And they have hit enormous numbers in fundraising through small donors that surpassed what they got in 2019. They already beat it in 2021. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I don't know why the media seems so uninterested in solving this pandemic. I can't figure that out. It boggles my mind, okay? My, my working theory is that they don't want to admit that they were wrong. You know, that if you are getting attacked and, and oh, well, don't you want to, you know, your instinct is to say, oh, well, I tweeted something in March 2020, and I don't want to go back on that because I'm going to get dunked on by whoever – but what I'm saying is that's not important. Nobody should care about that. I don't care what you tweeted, Brian, in March 2020. Yep. I'm not going to tell you what I tweeted in March 2020 because it's April 2021, and we got to look into the lab. we got to figure this out. It's a matter of our public health. It's- Washington Post, Josh Rogan did a great book on China and the U.S., the policy under Trump and be- before and beyond. And he, by far, he was able to say, I'm done with Russia. I have no interest in Russia. They're a declining power. He asked his editors, send me to China and let me cover that, and he did. And he's done a really earth-breaking book that doesn't get enough uh, publicity because he talks about how China's getting away with poisoning the world and no one's even doing a legitimate investigation into where this whole virus came from, among other things. Brett Baer is chief political anchor for Fox News, anchor of Special Report. Um, you can see him every single night at 6 o'clock, but before that, he joins us now. Hey, Brett, 
Do you you had Josh Rogan on for his book, right? Yes, sir. Good morning. I mean, this is a this is a big book. It it, it puts politics aside. Yeah, listen, this is a a big deal, and and people are not paying attention to it. They're just not. And um, you know, we did a story March of last year about all of this, and at the time, it was called controversial, and it was called conspiracy. Um, but you know, as more and more time goes by, this is going to, you know, be the the working theory uh, that it came from the Wuhan lab because they were trying they were trying out a uh, hundred different viruses to see if they could stop it and how to stop it. And it and the theory is maybe one leaked out. The problem is we can't get a true investigation in there. And even the director of the WHO said the same thing. Listen to how Anthony Fauci figures into this. Cut forty three. What you have to understand is that this body of research, this gain-of-function research, the whole world of virologists, and I, I, I came to learn a lot about how this operates over the last year and a half of writing this book. It's very insular, okay? And I often talk to scientists who say the same thing. They say, listen, we really want to speak out about this, but we can't do it. Why can't we do it? Well, we get all of our funding from NIH or NIAD, which is the National Association for Infectious Diseases, which is run by Dr. Fauci for years and years and years. And so we can't say anything like, oh, gain-of-function research might be dangerous or it might have come from the lab because we're, we're going to lose our, our careers. We're going to lose our funding. We're not going to be able to do the work. People like to say, oh, the scientists all think this. But there's a whole bunch of science. More and more are coming out, actually, and you see them every day. And Redfield's uh, uh, sort of signal was like, this is okay to do. You can say this. And, you know, but, but still, they get attacked for being racist or whatever, and they might lose their funding. And the head of that pyramid, the head of the funding, the head of the entire field really is Anthony Fauci. He's the godfather of gain-of-function research as we know it. Now, that, again, just what I said there is like too hot for, you know, TV because people don't want to think about the fact that our hero of the pandemic, Dr. Fauci, might also have been connected to this research, which might also have been connected to the outbreak. Do you understand? I mean, I know you understand, but no one wants to touch this. He says, he just said this to me a half hour ago, he said, I still don't understand why people don't want to touch it. He understands people are coming aboard now slowly, but there's a, there's a sense that we just are going to touch it. And if you do it, they're going to take down your tweet or freeze your account. I mean, it's kind of a scary situation. Yeah, it is. And listen, I, I really applaud Josh. He's done a really great job. It's a good read. The book is. But more importantly, he's done these interviews like the one he just did with you where he's speaking – you know, the unspeakable. And that is, you know, any criticism tied to our funding of the Wuhan lab, any possibility, you know, he always has to put the caveat on there that we can't prove it yet, blah, blah, blah. But as you look more and more at these data points, you know, Pompeo will tell you, all these intelligence people will tell you that um, not only were they pointing there, but China dropped the ball and maybe purposely so, protecting its own country, but not protecting the world. And we're still paying the price for it. I mean, we're still, we're at each other's throats because of it. And uh, I would, what drives me nuts now is as we're supposed to be turning the corner, there's reluctance to turn the corner. It, okay, we got vaccinated. The CDC comes out and says, you don't need to wear a mask. There's no reason because you can't transfer the disease once you had the disease, once you get inoculated for the disease. And then the CDC takes it down again. The same thing happened a few times when, when the Trump administration was in power. CDC says something. Now, miraculously, they got to walk it back. 
But this is about living and not living, making a career and not making a career, uh, saving your home, saving your business or not saving your business. You know, we have 50 states with 50 stories. It's time for us to start looking at the success stories and learning from that and stop hiding in the corner. How do we get the American people to stop hiding in the corner? Well, I mean, frankly, the media needs to do a better job of telling the success stories um, overall. And it, it's too much of a, um, you know, fear kind of uh, mentality that, that drives clicks, that drives, you know, viewers. Uh, in reality, we're doing pretty well. Um, the deaths are horrific, but we're getting there. And uh, I think that this is going to be a big political issue come 2022, and maybe we'll see uh, 2024 about freedom and moving forward. Um, you know, I saw you retweeted that uh, the Bill Maher piece uh, monologue, and I think he, you know, nailed it again. And it really is about, you know, choices. Yeah, in fact, we have a few of them cut here. Uh, here is uh, Bill Maher. Uh, yeah, let, let's look and listen to Bill Maher uh, talking about it's time to look at the information and not all Republicans are bad or wrong. Cut 35. But what about liberals? You know, the high information by the science people. In a recent Gallup survey, Democrats did much worse than Republicans in getting the right answer to the fundamental question, what are the chances that someone who gets COVID will need to be hospitalized? The answer is between one and five percent. Forty-one percent of Democrats thought it was over 50 percent. Another 28 percent put the chances at 20 to 49. So almost 70 percent of Democrats are wildly off on this key question and also have a greatly exaggerated view of the danger of COVID-2 and the mortality rate among children. All of which explains why today the states with the highest share of schools that are still closed are all blue states. So if the right-wing media bubble has to own things like climate change denial, shouldn't liberal media have to answer for, how did your audience wind up believing such a bunch of crap about COVID? (laughs) It's just the beginning. This is the numbers. You can't lie about this. I watched. Yeah, go ahead. It's just so point on. It's just so zeroed in on... um, on the issue. It really is. I mean, think about these schools that are still not back after all that we know. Um, it's it's mind boggling. And that's why I say it's going to become a major, it already is, a major political issue. Look at the stock that's rising for Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. Um, you know, it, the only reason why he is being considered as a potential presidential frontrunner is because of his handling of COVID, and he's continued to. And so uh, there are people who look at that and say, this is what I want, and that's why people are moving to Florida, you know, every day. He won by about a half a percent, too, and uh, and he ends up prevailing. And next thing you know, uh, his, his stock is soaring. He's extremely confident, well-researched, and he actually gets a compliment from Bill Maher. It's like he did his research, and that's why he thinks what he does couple of things. Uh, if anyone knows what's going on in Washington, it's you. And I'm getting the sense that maybe President Biden knows he does not have the 50 votes and he might do some legitimate negotiating when it comes to infrastructure. Here's Senator Chris Coons, cut 49. 
I think that if we come together in a bipartisan way uh, to pass that $800 billion hard infrastructure bill uh, that you were talking about that I've been urging, um, then we show our people that we can solve their problems. We've all agreed for a long time that we need to invest more in American infrastructure. We just disagree about how to pay for it. And I think in the next few weeks, we should roll up our sleeves and sit down and find ways that both parties can support to make these critically needed investments. That's here at home. But, Chris, it's also critical for our standing in the world. So, and he goes on to say that, you know, if we start coming together and get things done, the rest of the world will take notice. But, I mean, you know that 1.9 is not going to fly if the, if the Republicans have a say in it. But yet they do want to get into bridges and tunnels and roads and dams. So do you sense this might be something? I mean, you and I would say, of course. But in reality, do you think so? No, I do. I actually do. I've had a com- couple conversations with people uh, who say that uh, Senator Manchin is dug in. He went the first mile with uh, President Biden at his personal request um, to to go with the stimulus at 1.9. Now they're at 2.3 for infrastructure, and he's not there. And he doesn't want all this other stuff in unless it's all paid for. So he and a few others, I'm told, Cinema and, and others, are now getting to the point where they're going to go uh, to a lower number and – uh, work with Republicans on the pay force. So that's going to throw the progressive left into a tizzy, uh, saying they have the numbers, blah, 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 but they don't have the numbers. And you're starting to hear and see that uh, from President Biden and the administration. And I hear they're going to reintroduce the new Green Deal at some time this week, maybe even today. Yeah, they're going to roll that out and make a real climate change push. Um, but again, it's all about the math up on Capitol Hill, and, and it's just not there, not only in the Senate, Brian, but in the House. I mean, Nancy Pelosi's only got three to work with uh, as far as getting these votes passed, and there are some moderate Democrats from states where Trump won uh, that are looking at the cards saying that's not going to work for me. So let's talk about politics real quick before I let you go, and that is that even though the Republicans have lost almost all their corporate support, their dollars uh, from, from uh, McCarthy as well as McConnell – are past where they were in 2019 through small donors. What do you read in that? Well, I think there's a shift, and and it may have to do with COVID. It may have to do with uh, overreach um, on some of these uh, progressive wish list things. Um, but there's clearly a, a hunger, and they're close. You know, Senate majority, House majority, um, and I, I think that that they're seeing some benefit from that. Let me just say one thing. Um, The foreign policy stuff, I really think is is explosive. And um, I I will see what happens today uh, news wise. But we may leave the show with this and that China's actions in Taiwan, um, buzzing Taiwan with 25 warplanes, Russia getting their military on the border of Ukraine. Uh, Iran thumbing its nose at the U.S. by enriching uranium at 60 percent as we're trying to sit down with them and restart this deal. All three of those are stress tests for President Biden, and all three of these countries are going to push the limit because I think they sense some kind of weakness. And um, I think those are massive stories that uh, could explode at any time and change our whole thing that we're focused on. While we're leaving Afghanistan in a huge void uh, for for me, no apparent reason. Um, so we just talked to H.R. McMaster about that.
Right. I, I thoroughly agree with you. The American people aren't really into foreign policy unless there's a war. But those are huge issues. And our destroyers turning around last week uh, when the Russians told us to and then shutting, uh, shutting us off, da- shutting us down now uh, as they move three uh, uh, battleships into the area. Uh, all a bad sign for Ukraine. Yeah. Remember Ukraine? We're back at, back at that again. Brett, thanks so much. You bet. All right. And watch Brett's special on Fox Nation. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back just finishing up uh, this hour. It's always great uh, to see, uh, to have a chance to talk to Brett and go inside Washington. And as you know, no one really loves foreign policy. I love it. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, they go, yeah, American people don't really care about it. Just keep your eye on Ukraine. Keep your eye on Taiwan, even on Hong Kong. Uh, Jimmy Lay, the this self-made uh, multi-billionaire, just got arrested, spent the rest of his life in prison. He's got more Western connections than almost anybody in the West on Wall Street. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And Navalny with Russia is dying in prison. So what are we going to do about all this? What are we doing about all these challenges? Asking for a summit after we give them sanctions and expel 10, uh, uh, 10 diplomats from our country. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, the ACM Awards were last night. Group of the Year is Old Dominion. Did they change their name? Uh, Gabby uh, Barrett won New Female Artist of the Year. New Male Artist Jimmy Allen. Isn't he an American Idol guy? I'm not sure. Thomas Rhett won Male Artist of the Year. Doesn't the same people seem to win every year? Uh, Marilyn Mar- uh, Marin Morris won Female of the Year. Uh, she's Outstanding Female. Uh, and al- uh, Album of the Year, Chris Stapleton starting over. And Luke Bryan won Entertainer of the Year. I think Song of the Year was somebody, um, uh, Lee Bryce. Uh, who- song of the Year was uh, Marin Morris, The Bones. Hmm, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't <laughs> like that song. Yeah. Um, Lee Bryce uh, uh, won something, I remember. Uh, I'm going to be doing something with him on May 7th. That's exciting. That'll be good. Uh, isn't that your birthday? Uh, that might be. I'll have to spend <laughs> it with another country music star. <laughs> Next, Matthew McConaughey possibly considering running for governor. If he did, he's got to be happy with these polls. According to a recent poll, he has a 12-point lead over current sitting governor Greg Abbott. Should the election be today and him run as a Democrat? Although Democrats lead uh, the Oscar winner. Oh, excuse me. Um, although the Democrats uh, lean toward McConaughey, 66 to 8 percent, only 25 percent of them said they would likely support a candidate who is a centrist. Well, 51 percent want a progressive. 51 percent want a progressive. Wow. Well, remember way back when Petraeus is the one that said that to you. The problem with this country, we had the, two, the closed two party system. So if he has to, you know, run in a Democratic primary, right, is he going to run against what, like Beto O'Rourke? And you're going to get all the progressives that want that. Right, but uh, the, the question I'll have to ask you and Eric, who's sexier? That usually gets the win. <laughs> Next, Joe Buck will, will host Jeopardy. Good job. Buck will join a group of guest hosts uh, viewed to possibly replace Alex Trebek. That includes Aaron Rodgers, Dr. Oz, Ken Jennings, uh, Bill Whitaker, Anderson Cooper, uh, Savannah Guthrie, as well as uh, Katie Couric. But Katie Couric will not get it. That, that's your prediction? Yeah, I mean, she gets in, she holds on to it for a month, and she realizes she's the wrong choice, gets $5 million to walk away. 
next. Chris Andrew being offered $7 million to take a lie detector test about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Do you think he'll take it? Yeah, I think that's one of those that's an easy decision to make. Next, <laughs> LeBron James Lakers will not visit President Biden at the White House during their trip to Washington. Uh, the reasons why the Lakers won't be able to get to the visit is due to the COVID-19 protocols. You know he would not boycott Biden. 100%. Do you know, do you see the NBA ratings are down uh, 40% uh, on ABC, 20% on ESPN, and 35% on TNT? This is a disaster. People are sick of politics in their sports. And it's all over the basketball, yeah. believe me. And they're double the double standard, too, like Josh Rogan said earlier in the show. Right, speak out against the U.S., but love China. Right, yeah, and that's true. They have taken no stance. They cut a brand new deal to be televised in China. They will not talk about that. You can't even stick up for the people of Hong Kong. But he did get another job. The GM of the Rockets left and went to the 76ers uh, because he's considered a very good general manager. Who knows probably the personnel. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Go to BrianKillMe.com or to any of my books or all of them. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.